0: The Brexit Breakdown Podcast, from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to this second Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, journalist, author, broadcaster, man on a mission to learn more about Brexit. And to that end, last week I went to the Conservative Party Conference in Manchester, where I met up once again with Professor Anand Menon, Director of the UK a Changing Europe, and Grant Shapps, Conservative MP for Welland Hatfield, former Chairman of the Conservative Party, and uh, since our talk, he's added failed coup leader to his portfolio, having been outed as the ringleader behind efforts to oust Theresa May following her uh, fairly remarkable conference speech. I think that's the best word for it. To be honest, this chat wasn't scheduled for release until later in the year. Uh, We were going to talk mainly about how uh, Grant Shapps was a remain voter but he's now a leave cheerleader but given grant uh, committed some news in the meantime we figured we would bring it forward so there's some talk in this podcast about what he wants to see from theresa may's speech at conference which uh, clearly i was planning to cut out but i've left it in because uh, it's uh, fairly fascinating with hindsight there's lots to to get your ears around i will be back at the end of the podcast with all the uh, housekeeping gubbins But we started with Anand asking Grant about Brexit.
1: Do you think the Prime Minister is doing it right? Uh, No, it's the answer to answer it straight.
2: I would like to see the Prime Minister say, um, you know what, we are perfectly prepared to pay for what's reasonable. She's said she thinks it's 20 billion. I suspect after this conference we'll see it suddenly as 40 billion. but you know what, Europe? Um, all the cards aren't in your hands, and um, actually, WTO rules are not the end of the world. Um, uh, and, and therefore, either you start negotiating the whole package or, f- or, or, or forget it. We are 20 billion, soon to become 40 billion, is off the table. My parents, who were in business for all of their lives together, actually, all their working, like my life rather than selling photographic equipment, and a lot of exporting uh, around the world they are based out of uh, London, Dorset Street. And um, they used to, before the single market, sell stuff to Europe. I remember the paperwork, I remember the hassle of them filling in the Mm. forms, and the barriers that created. The interesting thing about their business then, I remember distinctly, is they didn't have a single computer in the business. It was the days before the Mm. internet, before you could, probably within a second, link you know, mm-hmm. if you're going to have forms and customs and what have you, nowadays it will be linked to Sage or whatever accounting package you're using. You push a button, it will be filed. It'll probably take 10 seconds. You know, I'm not sure it's the big barrier it was to them when they were in business at first. But, so I think there are all sorts of reasons why we could manage and survive and then focus on the rest of the world.
0: Um, you, uh, director of UK to Changing Europe, would you agree that WTO rules are not the end of the world? Well, you've made some reports and videos not, and all sorts suggesting it would be pretty bad.
1: If we take your, your mum and dad's business as mm. an example, mm. someone's going to be checking that stuff at customs. And, I mean, doesn't that just raise a load of very practical mm. problems? Like, you know, I think the last thing I heard was there are 10 parking spots for lorries at Dover. And we're going to need a few hundred more. Well, building uh, a car we'll park shouldn't be a reason for no, us not to... No, but if you <laughs> multiply that across all our ports, yeah. plus the customs inspectors plus the queues plus the delays for people like BMW who shovel things back and forth at great Mm. speed Mm.
2: and yet we do all of this with the more than 50% of trade that doesn't go into the other 27 countries in Europe and I think what worries me about Brexit um, and the way the negotiations going at the moment is we seem to have got things the wrong way around if you took us back to June 2016 and the vote had been imaginary vote had been on leaving a club that we belong to which involves 7 billion people in every country in the world apart from the EU Um, and what we were going to do is leave that and instead join a small club of 27 other countries with only 500 million population rather than 7 billion and quite high walls to tariffs to countries coming in from outside and so on and so forth yeah, there would be uproar because we'd be leaving a 7 billion market behind to join a 500 million one if we play our cards right we can open you know the routes, the trade routes, to Vietnam, Singapore, Malaysia, Taiwan, these countries I was visiting mm. as a Trade Minister, mm. I was frustrated because I couldn't do a trade deal with them. Europe can never really get its act sorted out because it has to appeal, it's had to appeal to 28 countries, um, but we can go round and if we're light-footed, go and do those things quickly. So I think the prize of 7 billion is much bigger than the prize of 500 million, but we have to believe that and understand but ourselves. But you, you do sound
1: mm. a bit like Liam Fox now in the sense that, you know... The f- <laughs> Something I've never the been accused well. of, I mean at the Tory party conference last year I remember having a 90 minute sort of Q&A session with him and he refused to accept that geography plays a role in determining trade flows. Yeah. I mean we're not going to have just in time integrated supply chains with Vietnam mm. however many trade deals we sign because it's just too far. Well, I, I think that's to
2: misunderstand what Britain's really good at these days and a lot of what Britain's really good at. is not physical stuff that you move around. When I was in uh, Vietnam, to give a very good example, with the deputy prime minister trying to negotiate trade. His specific interests were um, education. Uh, a um, they have a stock market, but they need the kind of sophisticated city-based understanding of the software, mm-hmm. um, the, the massive contracts in that um, uh, commissioning um, of uh, nuclear power. So, in other words, there's a lot of expertise, a lot of professional services banking, law, yep. a lot of those types of things. And they're not physical things that you have to move around for which the trade barriers of a traditional you know, manufacturing economy become such an issue. But I don't think that it's beyond our manufacturers either, and I don't agree with you. Unless Europe wants to build massive walls, mm-hmm. uh, which in fairness um, here, the EU does have a history of building big yep. walls to people mm-hmm. uh, outside it. Um, but you know, unless you go out your way to make it difficult
1: and complicated, which they may But unless you do, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Can I ask you a hypothetical question? Yeah, I've always wanted to ask this of a senior Tory. What would it take for you to come out and say, actually, this was a really bad idea? I'm not saying (laughs) it's going to happen. I'm just saying, hypothetically, there must be a scenario where even someone who now supports leave has to stand up and say, ooh, this isn't what we had in mind. I think it would
2: be a really bad idea if we end up offering and paying way over the odds to notionally support um, a trading relationship which won't be worth um, the amount that we're paying for it. So I think we can overpay to leave. I'm absolutely convinced that if we leave and we don't leave on ridiculous terms, like Mm. paying too much for market access, effectively what we don't want to end up doing is leaving but still paying uh, as much as if we were staying. I mean, that would be completely unacceptable uh, and also uh, having given away so much of our sovereignty in that process so that we're still, you know, doing what the ECJ says and all, you know, all this kind of thing. Mm. That's the point at which it becomes unacceptable. Um, but that's a matter of these negotiations and I think but, there's a point at but which... But more
1: broadly, what is your wrong? I mean, what if... Alright, World Trade Organisation is not the end of the world, clearly, but what if it's pretty awful? Well, how can it be that awful? Just, so explain this to me, right?
2: We've left and the pound's devalued against the euro Mm -hmm. by 25%, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and world trade tariffs are 5% at worst, and many cases less. Where's the problem?
1: Well, so we're
2: only 20% cheaper than we were before this all started, and for some reason we're going to have difficulty trading.
1: If I were a committed Remainer, this is what I'd say to you, I'd say A, since the referendum, the only thing we've started exporting in bulk more than we were beforehand is gold bullion. And that, that accounts for any pickup in our export. B, under World Trade Organisation terms, there are two problems. One, in some sectors they're far higher than 5%. So are you thinking about the Irish farmers who might have to pay 40% on dairy products with farms that straddle the border? Mm. Uh,
2: they could always sell their produce to Britain and we can stop. They could, but I mean... And we can stop. Importing so much, from, from but as Europe you said, there's a there's a there's yeah. a big short-term shot yeah. to people. But we import more as a United Kingdom imports more in in, uh, in in farm produce than we export. I think I'm right in saying, or at least we're not self-sufficient. Yeah. So are you saying than we're paying forty percent zero- to sell it to Europe? They could always sell their produce to the rest of. Britain. So we won't have tariffs. I, I, it, look, unfortunately, the truth is, if they impose tariffs, we'll have to impose tariffs back. Uh, if only to then be able to channel the money back into our car industry and the rest of it about three billion pounds I think a year to the car industry uh, if if we were if they were to impose it on us so it's a it's a sad and very regrettable truth that if the tariffs are imposed it's very difficult not to retaliate.
1: My but they have to, don't they, under WTO rules?
2: Uh, retaliate?
1: No, they have to impose tariffs unless we have a trade deal. Um, they right. either keep tariffs the way they are, and if they cut them, they have to cut them for every country in the world, but, which I they're mean, not going to
2: do. But this kind of nonsense of, um, that we're going through at this moment, this dance that we're going through with Europe, that it took eight years to negotiate the Canada free trade, absolute load of codswallop. We have exactly the same... Uh, uh, Laws on goods Hmm. and services and standards, as the rest of Europe, because we've been in Europe for the last 42, 42 Mm 43 years. So we don't need to spend eight years agreeing that in order to send you, oh no, in order to send your stuff here, you've got to have this. No, we already have that same level of uh, of consumer protection, all the rest of it. So let's stop playing games and let's just agree that we'll have a tariff-free deal between us. Really, no reason to do anything else, unless you're into self-harm and. Barnier and Juncker have clearly demonstrated that they would rather damage the EU economy than do the rational, sensible thing. (laughs) Simple as that.
0: Can I interject an element of stupidity into this? Because it's all very well talked about Irish farmers, but I'm guessing amongst the listeners to this podcast, there will not be that many Irish farmers and there'll be a lot more people who buy Lego. And Lego's got more expensive. Is that right? Lego's got, you know, Lego's more expensive. Butter's more expensive. Surely, with the pound devaluing, with WTO rules, and, you know, I expect you two know much more about WTO rules than me, stuff is going to get more expensive. That's the problem, isn't it? This is ridiculous. People seem... uh, uh, Lego's already got more expensive. (laughs) Lego's quite a big expenditure in my head. It's
2: absolutely extraordinary that people seem to think that when the pound moves one way or the other, up or down, there's only either a winner or a loser. The whole point about trade is that things, you know, are cheaper to export and yeah, I'm a journalist, more expensive to make anything, and, and vice versa. I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I despair uh, economists when I hear them say, of course, the pound going down is a bad thing, the pound going up is a good thing. It, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Mm. It You're buying or selling. it stands for reason. By the way, we have a very long term, very structural um, a payment uh, a deficit in um, our, our traded um, goods. A lower pound is a fantastic opportunity um, to get out there, sell to the world and deal with our our, our payments
1: deficit I mean you but it also makes good. lots of stuff more expensive by that token
0: but you sell unless to the world
2: it, unless you buy it domestically in which case it's, it's less expensive uh, British,
0: British Lego I don't, I'm not wearing British Lego <laughs> all, all Lego knockoffs are rubbish but the point <laughs> is surely the point is that what you're saying is that you sell to the world and the economy as a whole absolutely balloons I, I, and somehow I because I, I don't actually make anything obviously I somehow I benefit me. Talking and editing, talking and
2: editing. I think we are starting to see now exporters having a good time. James Dyson, one of our most brilliant exporters, um, says um, no problem. JCB. What did JCB say? Uh, well, no, yeah. no problem. Get out there and sell. I mean, just passed them coming up the motorway today. One of Britain's fantastic export businesses. Not frightened by all this stuff at all. Yeah,
0: I don't know about Dyson. They're very expensive, those Dyson Hoovers. Yeah, they are. I, you know, are, I don't right, know if right. right. that's... I mean, good. Mean, apparently, apparently they're about, very good, though. Well, apparently they're
2: I, very good. I, I don't mind us selling expensive stuff to the rest of the world. You know, We sell McLarens to the rest of the world and I think he, I think they're... We can't so, sell many McLarens. No, and they don't sell many, but I saw some figures which showed that the very few McLarens they sell are, are worth an an entire vast production factory <laughs> yes, sure. of other cars because they are just so expensive and of course you know in a, in a in an economy like like ours we're not trying to compete on low-end production China style we're trying to okay. compete on high-end quality production of stuff and then also the service industry which is not as spatially uh, dependent it doesn't have to be your neighbour. Just as easy to sell that financial system to Vietnam as it is to France and uh, actually in the modern economy. I'm not saying it's not without problems. That's why I voted Remain. I'm just saying there is yeah. a point at which if you give too much away in these negotiations, it's best to give nothing
0: away. Hasn't Dyson just got the ump because the EU banned super powered Hoovers? That I don't know what it's I'm about. Not, is it not, uh, not, not just driven by revenge? I, I'm not, I'm I will not, I'm, sell uh, the biggest I'm, hoover of okay, I'm, like. I'm not an expert, <laughs> as, as Trump
2: would say, never, let the guy, never let the guy. I don't know. I, 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 I don't
0: know. Um, we started all that talking about um, whether the population has become more Brexity, um, which I was going to ask you about, Anand, because obviously you have your ear to the ground, you've done research and all this sort of stuff. Do you feel that the, the population <laughs> is broadly behind Brexit, whether for ideological reasons or more likely just because they're fed up with it and want it done? I'm slightly less cynical
1: than Grant about opinion polls. Oh, but you're wrong.
0: Well, opinion polls are rubbish.
1: I mean, what a lot of them tend to indicate is that there is a body of opinion out there of people who voted Remain who think we should do it now because we voted for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Who who think we should Brexit? We said we should leave now because we voted for it.
1: And actually, now are starting to think, let's just get on with it. We voted for it, we lost. That's fine. Uh, (laughs) They were the people at the Financial Times just before the election, famously called relievers. Uh, yeah. Who'd sort of switched, and yeah. they were about yeah. sort of 25%. So there is some evidence of that. But the problem is, all the polls are showing different results. Mm. All so the polls
0: are rubbish, that's why. Don't go to a near polls. So if you've learnt you nothing over the last few years,
1: with the Isn't referendum, they were within the margin of error. I mean, the margin of error is quite big, but they were within the
2: margin of yeah, error. But they all error.
1: suggested the wrong result. <laughs> yeah. The margin of error, I mean, literally all
2: Yeah, uh, I got the general election error, wrong.
0: Not literally all. Um, all but two. Both they got the general, general elections both, wrong. Sorry, yes. 2015 I and thinking, 2017. I spending, 2015 and 2017 wrong. Um, yeah, and then they had that wacky one in the Scottish I think referendum. maybe
2: they had more claim to getting it right in the end, But I mean,
1: I would defend pollsters by saying we live in a bonkers okay. world. Okay. Mm.
0: Well, where? don't be a pollster then. That's not true. I don't <laughs> go and sell that's Overs. not true. Oh well, yeah, if you put your ear to the ground, if you are a political commentator or whatever, um, go out and talk to people, find out what's going on. Don't just phone them up and say, Well, oh, who are you going to vote for?" Well, go I don't, know out what, and actually I don't know what you actually take find the in your temperature? Your yeah, just... I find that. <laughs> I
1: go around where I live in Oxford, and everyone will say, "I've met two hundred leavers today, and they've all recanted because they realise it's stupid." If I go back to where I grew up in West Yorkshire, they'll say, hmm. "Everyone thinks we should leave now." So it, it's, one of the incredible things is how mixed our country yeah. is and how the two tribes... I, 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 so really yeah, your constituency, yeah. Yeah, well
0: mine you? is sort of 52, uh, yeah, I bet.
2: Uh, 48 or, or 53, 47, it, it, it was sort of 52, 48 I yeah. think um, to leave. Um, but, you know, but I can see a lot of people were just going through the same dilemma as, as, as I was, sort of, you know, don't like the fact that it's become a political project and all the rest of it. Don't like the hassle of going through the hassle that we're going through now, but we're now quite a long way through the hassle, and I think we should push it to a conclusion. So does this make and you? we will be greater overall for doing it if we concentrate on the world market of seven billion. We will be, and this is where I think Theresa May can do so much more. At uh, this conference, she should be saying um, Britain's destiny in the world is and giving us a vision. And perhaps Shouldn't the foreign secretary do that? At some point? Well, he, he does because she doesn't. That's the thing. This should be um, the biggest economy in Europe or uh, the world's greatest trading nation or, you know, give us an objective that we go. And and then, of course, Mm. you say, and this is why we are today announcing that we're going to help 10,000 people more on the help to buy scheme or, you know, reduce student... back in uh, 2015 when we did that election we we had, as you'll remember, the long-term economic plan was the phrase that everyone knew. I seem to remember it, yeah. The advantage of that was that um, we were, everything we did, we'd say, of course we're only doing this thing today, whether it was good or bad, austerity or spending money, because we have a long-term economic plan and this fits into this long-term economic plan. So you need a big idea. You need a big idea. The problem that Theresa has is she says, I want to help the Jammed people, people just about managing, or I'm going to help the home buyers or what have you. But why? Is it because we have a mm. plan? What is the plan? Actually, we've got Brexit coming up, so it definitely should be linked to that. And I would suggest, isn't it because lots of them voted By 2050, we want to make sure that British
1: economy is the biggest in Europe. Isn't she just trying to pick on groups that voted later I yeah. this stuff about tuition fees. Well,
2: in fairness, for I mean, you know, she already did the people stuck in the middle, and that was always a thing. But so I don't think it's just that. But the problem is, if you don't on a broader, bigger vision of the world, then two things happen. First of all, people will say, isn't this just happening because Labour has said it and now you're copying them? And the other thing that will happen is that people who are not the Prime Minister will come forward with their own visions, and
0: that's what's been happening in the newspapers. Do <laughs> um, you think
1: th- she'll lead the party into the next elections?
0: No. Uh, whatever you might say about David Cameron, he knew what he was trying to do. He yeah. did have a point, whether that was just to stay in power you know, for whatever reason, that might have been his point. You can make that case if you want to. But he at least had a, he had had a goal, a through, he there had a through line That's there, the difference. Whereas Theresa um, May is doing this stuff, she's tinkering yeah, And the place. reason
1: she's doing all that is because she's lost her authority because she's lost our majority. Mm. So what's the answer to that? An early election that you might lose?
2: No, I think um, she should set out that big picture. And I think this week is her opportunity to do that. So when she makes a speech on Wednesday, if she sets all of this in a bigger context, a reason why then that would actually be quite an impressive speech. And actually, I don't totally write off her chances of doing that, um, because I bet if we'd been sitting sat here a year ago, all three of us would have already written off Jeremy Corbyn. Strange yes. things happen <laughs> in politics, right? So she can, if she makes the right pitch, um, um, uh, do something about this. It's not as inevitable as people think. In the same way, it was, it was never as dreadful as people thought for um, Corbyn. But what I would if
1: half her cabinet come out the next day and say, actually, I don't agree with that well, vision? Isn't that the problem? That is no, a problem, but that's, but the that's why it, the, the issue at the moment is she hasn't
2: enunciated a vision, so it's very easy for somebody else to come out and say something um, different.
0: Just to be clear, you say strange things happen. Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn lost an election.
2: Yes. Well, wasn't yeah. that strange? Yes, yeah, I really. would have told
0: you that this time last year, yeah, and yeah. I would have been right. Yeah. I mean, might not in that way, but <laughs> we would have, uh, would have seen that coming. You've gone from Remain to leave. Um, the, the, the charge would be you're wishy-washy. But i just say the country's gone from
2: yeah. We were in, so we were remaining um, to voting to Brexit. So I mean, I, if the ch- if the charge is I'm I'm a Democrat, I can I can <laughs> live with that. Um, but I wasn't wishy washy about remaining and leave because oh I don't know I haven't gotten a bit it wasn't that it was because I think it's like one of those extraordinarily difficult. You know, if you ever listen to the moral maze or something, you hear some of those conundrums. This is not a moral one, but an extremely complex social, economic, you know, political decision for the country um, to make. And on balance, I thought it probably just about wasn't worth the hassle on the evidence of what's happened. The fact that my fellow countrymen and women have said that they do want it to happen,
0: and the extraordinary behavior of the EU. Subsequently, I'm all for it. Go on then, Democrat, let's have some democracy. Let's have a second referendum on the deal. Uh, yeah, you, 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 you make a decision. <laughs> you ask people. No one ever said, and we'll then have
2: another referendum. Well, yeah, they say different... we'll have another
0: election. We'd have elections every few years. And if parties what, Why can't that? we have another referendum? Sure,
2: sure. If a party wins that election and they want to put in their manifesto, i have helped write manifestos in the past. right what you want in it. If you want to write, vote for us, because we're the party who will give you the second manifesto. Go for it. By my recollection, the Lib has got shrinkingly... Small
0: proportion of the vote when they tried that just a few months ago. Oh, come on, They, they what did they get? A, a 50% rise in the number of MPs? Yes, on a Sorry, would have given vote. their right arm for a 50% rise <laughs> in right, number of uh, MPs, yeah. as would any party. But, but,
2: yeah. but you know, the fact is, the, the message didn't catch a light, and maybe it will in the future, and they're perfectly willing, it's perfectly at liberty. How do we end up in this referendum in the first place? Because we wrote in our manifesto in 2015 we will have an in-out referendum. Yeah, were you involved in
0: that manifesto? You would have been your party yeah. chairman then. Yeah. Oh, do you regret that now? No.
2: Why shouldn't people get the choice? It's extraordinary that people still go around saying... I, I, I do occasionally get... I generally try to stay on the right side of my constitution so occasionally I still get people to writing to me saying it was outrageous that we ever asked people what they thought about because it. Because everything's Sorry. so mad.
1: It's then. outrageous we <laughs> asked people
2: do think referendums are just
1: massively divisive? No, I think referendums, well, they are, they are by nature yeah, massively but divisive. Long yes. term rather than just on the day. Um, because they are yes
2: no questions, they of course are massively divisive. Um, but um, does that mean that you shouldn't tackle the really big, difficult questions? No, of course you should tackle them. And where is the limit of a referendum? Well, I, I'd say on constitutional issues. And actually, of the three referendums we've had in the United Kingdom in the last few years, <laughs> AV, which everyone's forgotten about, wasn't particularly controversial. Yeah, it wasn't very divisive. <laughs> because it was massively in favour of the existing system. Um, and then uh, the Scottish referendum and then the, the European one. They're all constitutional questions, big constitutional questions, I think, uh, absolutely
0: right to go to to, to a referendum. Can we talk about infrastructure? You're chair of the British Infrastructure Group. Uh, doesn't the EU pay for all our infrastructure? Every time you go down a motorway, there's a big, big sign that says the EU paid for this, I, don't if, they? If you're
2: in Spain or well, Greece, then yes, but well, I don't notice it an awful lot. Scotland. Uh, in the, in the, in Further reaches of Scotland. Oh, be, yeah. um, uh, look, by the very facts of the uh, cash that we give to Europe, um, we give more than comes back. People argue about how much it is i don't think it's that 350 million we saw um band around because it doesn't include the fact that we get a lot of well, it back because but it's, it's a, not but at least yeah <laughs> we it's have yeah, yeah, that yeah. Now. Yeah. but <laughs> it is at least 4 billion a year i would guess right? okay we we, we we pay money in we get money back but actually we pay about 4 billion more than we get back so uh, i reckon through, through simple maths, if we're not giving them the money then we can use it to build our own Motorways, and actually, if we're not giving them four billion extra, then we can actually build motorways with an extra lane or something. If your gamble
1: on trade is right, because if everything else being equal, yeah, yeah. because I mean, that's that was the argument that was never clearly made in the referendum Mm. is if we trade less for Mm. whatever reason, if the Mm. global gamble doesn't work, Mm. if Europe puts up barriers, Mm. whatever it might be, the numbers involved there make even 350 million pale into insignificance.
2: So, so. That's an argument to never excruciate yourself from a situation uh, in which you feel increasingly uncomfortable. And uh, frankly, it was an argument which was sufficiently powerful to just about keep me on the Remain side because I recognised the discomfort in the in the process of leaving. But do I believe that's the end of the story? No, not 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 at all. I believe it's a hassle for five or ten years probably. But I think in the end we will be a wealthier, better, uh, better governed, more democratic nation probably happier than ourselves for for being outside of a supranational um you know political body i have no problem with the economic but
1: isn't it an, an argument that you shouldn't make trade with your nearest neighbors harder
2: Yeah, no, I'm a massive...
1: This is the sadness
2: of the whole thing. It's probably the thing which most swayed me towards remain, though not completely for the reasons I described earlier about the trade negotiations. My great sadness is I'm a a massive believer in free trade. I want to see a world with zero tariffs. I know that trade is good. It's good for you even when people don't think it is. It's good for you even when you only trade in one direction. It actually benefits all parties at all times. I think it's great for peace in the... In, mm. in, in the world. I could not be a stronger believer in, in free trade and we should always be aiming for zero tariffs. There is, in the end, a political context to free trading um, We freely trade with Scotland, for example, when we accept financial transfers of money one way or the other as a mm. result of wanting to be in the same currency and to have an open border and so on and so forth. And Europe, in the end, has transitioned from being an economic trading partnership into a political project which has led to too many compromises
1: on sovereignty. Okay. Are you, are you a, a bonfire of the regulations sort of guy? Yes. Yeah, which, for sure. Where would you start? Well, we did about 30 red tape challenges in the
2: 2010 mm-hmm. six, fifteen 15. Um, uh, government. Yeah, some of them were a bit dodgy,
0: though. No, no, I don't... I, I remember when all those 19, 1945 regulations about trading with Nazis in Lithuania got, yeah, 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 yeah. got thrown on the bonfire. And, right, know, and I... I, bits I cable was like, oh, look, I've burnt all this red no, tape. That, like, well, hang on. That,
2: that's, that's fair enough. <laughs> that was just... A, that You're right. That Some of it at the edges was just a sort of cleaning up the statute <laughs> thing rather than real regulations gone. But that's not by any means the, the full extent of it. I ran one of those red tape challenges after, by the way. I discovered okay. that the, the one that I was being asked to sign off... As a cabinet minister, was um, on aviation, and it, it scrapped thirty-five you know, rules, one of which was the Canadian nineteen forty-five something yeah. something in the air navigation order. and uh, I said I'm blocking this because I don't, I know a bit about aviation. I think there's far more red tape than that. Um, and then I ran uh, a red tape challenge into general aviation at the time, which went through and has transformed the um, the, the, the regulatory um, prospects for things like experimental aircraft. Being created in this country again, an industry that we'd entirely given up because of red tape um, and things like um, pilot training and all sorts of things. Anyway, so uh, I genuinely believe um, the red tape challenge did a huge amount. What was interesting was you'd get to the bit of red tape about which initiated from the EU, and you have to go, well, that's EU, Um, can't do anything with that. Set it to one side because it wasn't domestic, and we throw it into EU had some supposed a deregulatory
1: program never come to an end type of thing. What we should do now?
0: To be know, fair, they did.
1: They have cut regulations and they've stopped legislating. Yes. So
2: much. Well, the, one thing would be useful. Partly under
1: the, the influence yeah, yeah. of David Cameron's. Well, one thing curious. which
2: would have been useful if they adopted the uh, one in two out rules. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think they've gone that far. Um, but to give you another example, the Civil Aviation Authority, Britain's mm-hmm. CAA, um, sort of led on. Um, Cutting the red tape, and then we managed to get EASA, the European aerospace um, safety uh, people, European equivalent, to follow us down that that lead. So, I mean, I, I I agree, our influence was 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 good, but too much of our red tape um, remains in place. I think outside of Europe, the first thing we should do is carry out another red tape challenge, focusing on all the stuff we
1: couldn't deal with before. But presumably, if it's ma- if it if it's one of your reasons for supporting this now you can think of EU regulations you'll scrap as soon as we can. Yes. Which will they be? Well
2: I'll give you an example in an area that now I know very well because I did the red tape challenge but for example um, there are crazy laws um, which appertain to aviation which prevent, uh, to give you a a single example, um, somebody um, flying even though they can drive. Now I I, I just ask you this question, If, if you are liable to suffer a heart attack as a driver Um, Why can you keep your driving licence? Why is it, if you're in a uh, a plane, that, you you know, clearly the same rules should apply, right? It's just common sense. You should have uh, equity in that uh, space. Nationally, there's a national pilot's licence in Britain in which we were able to make those amendments and require instead of somebody to go to a very expensive um, aeromedical Mm -hmm. uh, examiner uh, for a pilot's licence to go to their GP, exactly the same... Tests done so you know they're them well it's about the level that would be required to drive but more regular because it's for something that's mission critical um flying and reduces costs on the on, on the sector the same thing couldn't be applied to the european there's a british license that people can still apply for and it's a bit more limited same thing couldn't be applied to the european version of the license guess why it would have to be agreed by 27 other nations etc et so one tiny
1: quite detailed you,
2: that, example where common sense regulation can cut the costs on a sector, uh, that's why we need to take challenge on that, and there are thousands, literally tens of thousands of examples in every area. If you look at construction, if you look at retail, if you look at um, standards in all sorts of different areas. It's not about driving down standards, it's every bit as safe, this particular change. It's just a less expensive, less bureaucratic way of getting to the are same Are you not thing.
1: concerned about the Regulatory system, then? I mean, we already see that some of the low cost airlines are registering themselves in places like Austria mm. in case yeah. we're outside of the European yeah. system. Yeah. Does it not, is that piece of legislation you talked about worth being thrown out of that system for?
2: Um, I think one of the great concerns about leaving, one of the reasons I was skeptical about leaving, um, is that you just don't know what the upshot is of things like uh, open skies and. These yeah. are genuine problems. I, I recognise the whole thing is going to be a super hassle. Um, and so if you were an airline and you were concerned, then that's a sensible thing to do. Ditto banks who are opening a small office in Frankfurt to pretend they have a, a European base. I don't think that's the same as um, will we have... Uh, I think the... the, the, the here's, here's the difference. Was, I'm pleased you asked me this question. Here's the difference. <laughs> right. With a um, specialist subject, right? Yeah, I understand yeah, yeah. the rationale for a bank to set up a... A European office just to keep a hand in there or that airline to do the same so they can carry on flying within the EU. But surely the much greater existential question is what will make our banks truly globally successful? What will make our airlines or our manufacturers of aircraft or name any other subject truly successful in the long run? And if in the long run, what will benefit them is having a regulatory system which is um, actually proportionate to the thing that's being regulated, for example, in in, in some of those examples, Um, then the country that can deliver that best will always win. And Britain already has record unemployment. You have to go back to 1972. You have to go back a hell of a long way. Why? Is it because we've regulated like the French and prevented people working more than 32 or 35 hours? Is it because we've made it very difficult to um, take people on and, yes, sometimes reduce the size of the company? None of this or is it because certainty... we've
1: gone in the opposite direction? But we're both in the EU. I mean, yeah. you're almost arguing against yourself, aren't you? No, we no, no, were, no, We have been able to create a completely different labour market to the French Yeah. while we were both members of the yeah, European Union. Yeah, but right? I give
2: the, the, the uh, employment market as but one I- example. There are many, many other areas, all those things that in the red tape challenges, the 30 red tape challenges, we had to say, ah, unfortunately that's EU, we have to put it to one side, That we should be looking at again. And just for clarity, I'm not talking about employment laws, because as you rightly say, we already have laws which are advantageous to um, to British employment levels, workers here. Um, And I'm not talking about environmental, in fact, I only want to see environmental standards. Raised. So I'm not talking about either of those things, rule those out, I'm talking about <laughs> everything else, the petty fogging rules that I saw in those red tape challenges, of which I've given you a very boring, detailed
0: oh, example yeah. in just but one there, European. I'm, concerned about, I'm mm-hmm. concerned about these sick people driving planes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, no, yeah. no, don't,
2: don't misunderstand <laughs> I, my point. The point is, if you go to an aeromedical doctor, they'll they'll charge you two hundred pounds for a check that a GP will do, yes. either for free or if you want to charge for it, for, for a single appointment of, of fifty quid. What we've got is a system that rips off pilots, because ultimately now only because. Europe says that we have to keep that system. We actually had it ourselves beforehand, but we looked at it and went, hold on a minute, this is out of date, why are we still doing it? And It's just but one tiny example of thousands and thousands. Of, if you do all of these things, you get an economy that moves faster, that's more you know, agile, that creates wealth better, that makes us that enables us to pay for public services with all the tax revenues. But
1: better. if worse comes to worse, you have to waive a few pilots paying less for a medical certificate. It's a tiny example. All right against the, the conceivable outcome that Ryanair can't fly from London to Spain. Yeah,
2: which is why, on oh. balance... Oh. I Amazing. Mean, which is why, on balance, um, I voted Remain. But it's ridiculous to think that we're never going to be able to have I mean, Ryanair not being able to fly probably for a completely different set of reasons. anyway. let's choose EasyJet. Um, I, I, look, I I, I, I simply don't believe that this isn't something we're going to resolve because aviation, by its very nature,
1: is entirely international. Because, but there's the nothing like the EU Open Skies Agreement anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is unique. So, we'll have
2: to come up with another unique agreement. If we, if we, if we want it to happen, then it will happen. If, if we don't, and Europe really thinks that the way to deal with Britain leaving the EU, preventing other countries from leaving, is to make our lives so difficult. You know what? We have unbelievable... I mean, I was uh, a, a foreign minister, and every day I would have um, special briefings, secret briefings, which were, were marked five eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, Whoa. Who are the that must been pretty cool. Come yeah, on. Cool. <laughs> who, are, who are the five eyes? Was it was it Britain, France, Germany? You know, the Netherlands? No, it's Britain, America, Australia, New Zealand, Canada. Those are the five eyes. Why? Because we have enormous historical, um, cultural links with these particular five countries. We share secret intelligence. With these countries, we don't share exactly that intelligence with our European nation. Kiwis every are at it there, aren't they? But we're not single, going to make cars with New every Zealand. Every single day of the week. The point I'm making is we have deep and special relationships already in existence with these countries, four of whom are Commonwealth, the fifth is the biggest nation uh, trade uh, 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 economy in, in, in the world, to who already our biggest market in the world, America. My point is that, um, you know, if there is no reason why. We shouldn't be confident enough to go, you know what, if you are going to just carry on playing silly buggers with us about whether or not we can even get to the point of negotiating um, future trade with you, uh, actually, we don't need to be spending tens of billions of pounds to open the door. You do what you like. You you put your barriers in place if you want. We'll do the same. It will cost us all a bit (laughs) there. It will. But actually, we'll focus on the rest of the world and we'll make it a success. And in 10 years' time, we'll be like the Hong Kong of Europe, the Singapore of Europe. And the thing which I think is most ludicrous is when I hear all the time um, people like Corbyn saying, oh, we don't want to be a a low-tax economy. He doesn't describe it. He says a tax haven. But what he means is a low-tax economy. Really? I've been to Singapore. Actually, one of the countries we're trying to create trade deals with. Better public services, better schools, better health. And the low tax. I can't think of a, well, a single country which doesn't do phenomenally well by its people by being an economy which is attractive to come and invest in. And I don't think that's a threat at all.
0: And chewing yeah. gum, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, you don't have to follow chewing gum in Singapore?
0: I don't know about that. Them.
1: That's yeah. a bit. But Let's go back to Bombardier.
2: Doesn't that yes. make you shudder? Yeah, it does. But you know what? I don't. Just because I don't agree with President Trump uh, on most subjects, which I don't. Um, doesn't mean that I don't want to ever trade with the United States. I think it, 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 it's such a crying shame that we've not managed to, after all these years between Europe and America, the two biggest trading blocs in the world, have a have a, a zero tariff trade deal. It's just a crying shame. And we, we, do you know, everyone in Britain suffers because of it. Everyone we pay more for our jeans if they're Levi's. We. They'd pay more for our gherkins. It's just ridiculous. We are gherkins. Yeah, gherkins. Do they come from America. I, apparently they do. Oh, that's well, what they once in, made us trade ten in every brands. burger. Oh, i never really thought about and it. All we do is take them out again. I know it's more yeah. yeah. recent. Decorative.
0: Yeah. Wow, cheaper gherkins. But uh, uh, I, uh, Brexit would have won by a barrel we or if you put
2: pr- uh, We can't export haggis to America. I mean, well,
0: know. come on. Uh, that's A, that's not a massive uh, uh, export it industry. And B, I mean, you know, let's. All right, I'll go there. Let, it's let, horrible. That. Come oh, on. Lord. You're a Scots, aren't you? How can you say <laughs> that? Of sorts. I'm, I'm exactly. Age. Yeah, exactly. Age. yeah, Talking and editing, talking and editing. First of all, the best thing and the worst thing about Brexit. <laughs> Best thing! Oh. Worst thing. Um, what is going to be the best thing about Brexit? If we get it right... we can't. Uh, you can't start the best thing with really?
2: if. Oh, I see. If mm. But it is an if. The best thing will be um, a truly independent, globally outward-looking um, nation. Exactly the opposite, in fact, to the kind of what you know, heavy Remainers will have you believe that we're going to turn inwards and be xenophobic and what have you. We should be exactly the opposite to that. Um, this nation, which is confident in the world, much wealthier as a result, providing better services to its citizens, like health and education, um, and able to, um, uh, you know, literally sell the seas and sell our, our, our goods ab- abroad. That would be the best possible
0: outcome. So, is the best thing confidence? Yes. Or I is think- confidence leading on to the best thing? Yeah, which no, is, I think, I think, you, you know, that- wealth.
2: I think it's prosperity. Yeah. Right? yeah.
0: Okay. Um, the worst thing about Brexit. Yeah. There
2: are going to be downsides, mm. right? There. <laughs> it's a major hassle, and I think it's an uncomfortable process to go through the major hassle because it's like, you know, um, an economy having to reshape itself and mm. refocus it, itself, and no one likes that kind of change too rapidly, too fast. It's like the industrial revolution and at other times during our, our our history. So I think it is the uncertainty. So if if the positive is prosperity, the negative is uncertainty.
0: And in the unlikely event that this podcast was insufficiently enlightening, or something like that, I get it wrong every time.
1: In the unlikely event this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently.
0: You know, it is massive. Uh, I keep saying that. What do you recommend? Because people want to know about. It. There is a, yeah. a, a thirst to try and understand what's going on. Um, what do you recommend? Obviously uh, listen to your podcast. Absolutely. One but, um, anything else in terms of books, films, uh, Twitter accounts, I don't know. Mm. Uh, what would you, where would you point people? People were
2: very fond of saying during and after the referendum, which I accept was not of great quality in terms of the debate, People, I think, wrongly were fond of saying because we didn't really know what 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 the detail was, which is not true at all. There's a lot of detail out there, and I heard a lot of people say, "Also, why won't somebody just tell us the facts?" And of course, in a hotly disputed area, it's very hard to tell what the facts actually are. They're dis- people disagree about hmm. and, uh, by by their very nature. But in this day and age, it's not possible to claim that the information isn't out there to go and do your own research. So I would say, you know, um, do your own research. Don't be led by. the 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 latest person that you heard speaking myself included or the greatest expert i heard a former bank of england um, monetary policy guy the other day um, sit there and say of course it's a disaster as if like you know we were all idiots for not understanding his perspective on the world don't listen to that Um, you know read up watch things come to your own um, conclusions but i think the idea that there's a sort of panacea of a single Source and if all you do is read the wow. Guardian, you'll suddenly find that you understand it all. It's very unlikely because guess what? Everyone has a perspective um, on it. Uh, you're not going to get to the, you know, balanced view by reading one source. So and my answer is I read think,
1: many. I think you mightn't go to the UK and change well, your website. We uh, what have he that meant every to say. That? time, yeah. right?
0: We cannot have that every time. I think we can. Um. Well, we can, but we need other yeah. things as well. Anything That's so you?
2: Um, No, not really. I I think the quality of debate's been poor during the referendum. I'll tell you where I was very impressed, actually, is during the things like the second reading of the Article 50 debate in Parliament. Not Mm. always possible to say this. I actually thought the quality of the parliamentary debate was extremely high uh, for once. Um, Oliver Letwin uh, made a terrific second reading speech um, in that. uh, debate. I didn't agree with a word of it, but Ken Clark, or very little of it, mm. Ken Clark I thought, made an you know, extraordinary, um, principled and impressive, Remain-based um, speech. Mm. So, I mean, actually, it's not often I'd say this, but listening to some of the really good quality debate that's been in the Parliament on it is, for once,
0: actually true. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Would you say, then, your recommendation is to watch BBC Parliament?
2: But that's actually not a bad place to
0: Yeah, to, during the you want to recommend something Anand, um, I will allow you this week to recommend your book. Is that what you're going to recommend? No, not yet, because it's oh, not okay. quite out
1: yet. Actually, having said that, I'll represent my book, which Brexit is and British Politics. A must read for anyone who That's cares really. about Brexit.
0: Has he got any reviews on Amazon yet?
1: I had a review in the FT. A good one? Which was glowing.
0: So, there was Grant Chaps. Remain voter turned Brexit backer. I think that was a fairly interesting insight into a lot of people's mindsets who were perhaps persuaded to be to vote Remain on the day, but given that the result was leave, a lot of people are now uh, getting behind it and want it to happen and want it to be a success. We learned that we could be the Singapore of the West, apparently, called the Grant. Up to you if you think that's a, a good thing or not. I uh, went to Singapore Many years ago, and I liked it a lot, I have to say, um, but I was sick in a helicopter. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Uh, we also learned that gherkins come from America. Oh, well, I learned that. that was entirely new to me. And we learned that Brexit could kickstart the experimental aircraft industry in the UK, which I think everyone would welcome. Experimental aircraft sound brilliant. I guess that's UFOs in that maybe. And we learned not to talk to Professor Anand Menon about car parks in Dover. He's always going on about the lorries at Dover after Brexit and how we're gonna have to build lots of car parks. Uh, If you ever meet him, don't have that conversation. He will be back in a few weeks on a future episode. He might even be back next time if the person we are going to interview next week commits some news in the meantime. Um, If there's anyone you think we should be having on as a guest, please do get in touch if you are the inventor of experimental aircraft please get in touch please send me pictures of the ufos you've been inventing the the email address is still um it's still uk in a changing europe podcasts at gmail.com that's uk in a changing europe podcasts at gmail.com but to be honest it's probably better to get me at political yeti on twitter or the UK and a Changing Europe are UK and EU on Twitter, or their website is UK and EU.ac.uk. Uh, you can also get me through my website, which is James Miller.com. I have collated the recommendations there. So there's uh, last week's recommendations from Matt Chorley, this week's recommendations, and uh, a special bonus one, which is uh, worth a look, I would say. The music again this week was. Uh, requiem for a fish by the freak fandango orchestra uh, i spoke to had a bit of feedback after the last episode and both people all the people it wasn't just too honest said uh, they like the music so it stays for now if you don't like the music get in touch and i will change it this is the brexit breakdown podcast brought to you by uk changing europe which is funded and supported by the economic and social research council Tune in in a couple of weeks for another Brexit Breakdown podcast. Thank you.